you know, every Sunday morning, Pastor Mike and I and several others uh, will pray before the services. And almost every single week, whether, uh, well, every single week I at least pray it in my head. Most of the time I pray it out loud. Or I say something like this, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm very happy to be here because I really need this today. <laughs> and it is so true. We are doing something really amazing here this morning. The very fact that we're in this room all together uh, means there, there are several things taking place. One is that most of us, I, looking around faces, I recognize most of us here this morning believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that this is the word of God. We believe that Jesus is who he said he was. We believe that he was the son of God. He came, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law perfectly, lived the life we should have lived and were commanded to live, that he died our death, the death we deserved on the cross, took on our sins, defeated death, defeated sin, defeated Satan, rose from the dead three days later, conquering death in the grave, ascended to the Father where he is currently ruling and reigning, we believe that he's given us his spirit, his word, his people in order to endure, reach the nations, make it all the way to the end. We believe that Jesus is coming back and is going to restore all things, make all things new, give us glorified bodies, and that we're going to spend eternity in his presence in the fullness of joy. That's an amazing thing. So one of the reasons I think, whether you recognize it or not, that you're here this morning is because you don't want to forget that story. You don't want to forget that truth. You want to hold on to it for all that you got so that you can make it another day, <laughs> make it another week. We're also here because life is hard. And I think that I'm probably not the only one who prays on Sunday morning something like, Lord, I need to be here. I need this. It's, it's interesting because, you know, keeping the faith is a real struggle in one sense, it's the easiest thing. There's nothing easier. You think of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus himself said, you know, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So there's one sense in which we don't have to grow weary. Verse three exhorts us to do this. You know, don't grow discouraged, don't get tired. We don't have to lose courage because in one sense, nothing is easier than believing in Jesus and the work that he's done and then just enduring to the end. At the same time, nothing is harder. Keeping the faith is the hardest thing you'll have to endure. Jesus himself also said the gate is narrow and the way is hard. And so you have these words in scripture like run, lay aside, fight. And Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 really are a command for all of us to look at our life, look at who we are, think hard about who we are, think hard about what we're doing, and then get ruthless about what stays and what goes so that we make it to the end, so that we live by faith. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, there's uh, really this amazing thing that Peter says. In verse 7, he talks uh, to the exiles, and he says, cast all your anxieties, all your fears, all your worries on Jesus because he cares for you. And be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And then Peter says this, resist him firm in your faith. How do you resist him? Faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is one of my favorite passages of uh, scripture on the topic of suffering because it says that there is a specific kind of suffering that every human being in Christ has to go through in this world. It's the same kind of suffering. 
which is important because when you think about it, even in this room, we all have experienced suffering in different ways and to different degrees. You know, even this weekend is the anniversary of Pastor Mike's sister being in a car accident at the age of 21. And so they grieve and they remember and they mourn that loss. He lost a sister when she was young. I've never lost a sibling when they were young. My three sisters are living today, but I've no doubt been through suffering in my life. I no doubt will continue to go through suffering in my life. Here today, we have people who have experienced cancer, the loss of loved ones, loss of jobs, financial burdens, persecution. Maybe some here have been abused or manipulated or you experience you know, different kinds of broken relationships, broken marriages, friendships. We all have different kinds of suffering and we suffer to different you know, degrees. But Peter says something in 1 first, in first Peter chapter 5, that there's one kind of suffering that every single person in Christ experiences. That is of resisting the devil, and ultimately, if you look at the total letter, resisting your flesh. And actually, the argument is made that that is the most difficult form of suffering you will have to endure on this earth. If you think about it, I don't know if you guys uh, are aware of this, but actually, even if you overcome a trial even if you pass through a season of suffering, even if you beat cancer, at some point one day, death is going to come. And the greatest enemies that we face are that of our sin and Satan. And we need something to help us not just get through cancer, not just get through loss of a loved one, not just get through another season of a difficult boss or we don't know what to do with this person or these bills are overwhelming. What we need is a champion, a victor, who will actually handle our sin and defeat the devil. And this is the one suffering that all brothers and sisters across the world endure. And what Peter says is resist the devil and, and resist yourself, ultimately in context. How? Firm in your faith. What is the weapon that you use to endure and overcome these different kinds of suffering? It's faith. You know, the author of Hebrews says you're going to need to run with endurance the race that is set before us. That word hupomane implies actually suffering. It's like a long suffering. It's a patient endurance under heat of affliction and temptations. In other words, the implication is, hey, life, which he's calling here as a race, is going to be long and hard. And you're going to get exhausted and you're going to be tempted to coast or get off course. You're going to be tempted to doubt. You're going to be tempted to you know, pick up baggage along the way, not run well, give up. And so what you've got to do, I think, that we see in this passage is four things. There's four things that I see of ways that we can you know, stand firm in our faith, endure, and make it to the end. Four gifts that we see in this passage today. The first is listen. We need to listen, and we need to listen to the witnesses. Author says in Hebrews 12, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, testimonies, let us also lay aside every weight, as they did, and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance as they did, the race that is set before us. You know, there's tremendous power in a testimony. There's tremendous power in somebody who comes alongside of you, somebody who's accomplished something or overcome something or endures something that you have to go through or you are going through in the moment. And they come and they tell you, hey, here's what to do. Avoid this, do this, 
And by the way, you can do it. I'm living proof. I'm living testament, flesh and bone, that I have accomplished and overcome what you're going through. There's something super powerful. In fact, our entire lives, the fact that you're sitting here in this room means that somebody has come to you and showed you how to overcome something. They've taught you something. You probably are thinking of different faces and experiences and moments and seasons in your life. And that has been a huge part of getting you to where you are today. It's powerful. What's amazing is actually Hebrews 11 gives us you know, a, a list, but it's not an exhaustive list. It's moments and components of people and stories that take place throughout Scripture where the author is saying, hey, look, Scripture is littered with testimonies of people who have gone through what you're going through and made it so you can do it. In fact, really, you know, 1 Timothy implies that all of Scripture is sufficient for us to be complete and equipped for every good work. And so though Hebrews 11 is not exhaustive, you can, no matter what you're going through, no matter who you are, you can go and find someone or some person or some story or somewhere in Scripture that is a witness to you of what you should do and an encouragement for you to trust Jesus and endure. There's power in testimonies. And so look at the witnesses that we've gone through the last several weeks in Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to their testimonies. Listen to Abel who says, Jesus is worth your first and best, even if your brother turns his back on you. You can trust him. Listen to Sarah, who says, God always makes a way where there seems to be no, no way. Even when you think time has run out, you can trust him. Listen to Abraham, who says, Jesus will provide. Even when he asks you to lay down that which is most precious to you, you can trust him. Listen to Moses' parents, who say, even when pagan rulers stand up and threaten your children, you can do what is right. God's promises are bigger than any worldly power or threat. You can trust him. Listen to Moses who says, even when you're being pursued by your enemy and are trapped, God can make a highway out of a sea. You can trust him. Listen to David who says, even when everyone around you is plagued with fear and you're up against the biggest of giants, remember who you are, remember whose you are, and go stand in the gap. You can trust him. Listen to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who say even though you're exiled and everyone around you is conforming and giving into idolatry, even if your very life is threatened and you're thrown into the fire, whether you're delivered from the fire or not, you don't have to be afraid. He'll be with you. You can trust him. And the list goes on and on and on and on. That we can be encouraged by the witnesses, people who have fallen, people who have got back up on their feet, kept running, overcome, and made it to the end. There's a whole list of stories and people in God's word of just cheering you on. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And you might think, well, yeah, but you know, these people did mighty things. These people, even in their mistakes, were spiritual heroes. They somewhat had their acts together. You don't know me, you don't know my past. Well, you know, there's Abram, the idol worshiper, and he finished. There's Noah, the drunk, and he finished. There's Sarah, the doubter, and the laugher at God, and she finished. There's Moses, the murderer, and he finished. There's David, the adulterer, and he finished. There's Saul, the persecutor, and he finished. New Testament, there's John Mark, the quitter, and he finished. There's Mary, the prostitute, and she finished. The list goes on and on. You're not the exception to God's great grace. You're not the exception to the mercy of God. You're not the one that gets away and he loses and John 10 becomes a lie. 
God's grace is greater than your sin. His mercy is stronger than your wandering. His love for you is greater than any fear and doubt. And that's why Hebrews 12 talks about a champion of faith. I love it because we're supposed to listen to the witnesses, but we're not supposed to look to them. They're all testimonies. They're all witnesses to something outside of them that brought them to the end. None of the examples in Hebrews 11 is a, are about a person. They're not about Moses or Abraham or David. The, the, the author doesn't go, look at, look at the whole life of Moses. This is how you should live. That's not what's taking place there. You're getting to see glimpses where faith won. And then the author says, since you're surrounded by all these testimonies, that when you live by faith, you win and endure, look to the one who gave them that faith. Who was the author of that faith, the perfecter of that faith, the finisher of that faith. Look to Jesus. And so, one, we listen to the witnesses, but two, we look to a person, namely Jesus. You see, our faith is not ultimately about believing in a story. It's not about believing in specific events of history alone, ultimately. Our faith is ultimately about a person. A living person. A perfect person. Whose life and death was marked by faithfulness. A person who endured everything we could possibly imagine without sin, made it to the end, and then won over every enemy that's seeking to destroy our faith. Our faith is in a person who conquered our enemies, lived faithfully, died our death, rose from the dead, has given us his spirit, and promised to keep us until he comes back. So we aren't looking to broken people or stories or moments in history and then being told, see, look at all these things, just have faith. We're actually looking at a person, God in the flesh, Jesus himself, who is saying, trust me. Jesus is the champion of our faith. The pioneer, the perfecter, the author, the finisher. Look at him, the author says. Consider his life. Consider his promises. Abide in his presence. Cling to him in the brokenness. Jump on his back as you run the race. The Christian faith, in its essence, is all about trusting Jesus. Our life, just like Abraham and Moses and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Joshua and David and Sarah must be marked by trusting God. Trusting that he's going to take care of you. Trusting that he's going to take care of your bills and your food and your clothes and your kids. Trusting that he's in control of your body when you get an unexpected health diagnosis. Trusting that he knows what's best. Trusting that he's present and able and good in the midst of your broken marriage, your broken friendships, your broken relationship with your kids, your broken relationships at work. Trusting that the key to happiness really is walking according to his commandments and saying no to the lust of the flesh and the things of this world. Trusting that one day he will bring justice to everyone who wronged you and those who wrong whom you love. Trusting that his mercy is greater than your sin. Trusting that you really are forgiven when you consider all of your sin against God and against neighbor. Trusting that the power God has given you is enough to be able to resist sin and to change. The Christian life is about trusting Jesus when you don't know what to do with the decisions that lay right in front of you. And trusting that he's going to make it clear in his time through things like prayer and counsel and his word. The Christian life is trusting in things like this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. 
Trusting that God is in control and wise and good when pagan leaders rise up and pass immoral and unjust laws or the world is flourishing with war and hatred or when children in our culture are being sold and abused and deceived. It's trusting in the promises of God and that the fullness of them will come and be enjoyed fully in glory. And in the meantime, trusting that the sufferings of the present time can't even be compared to the glory that's to come. The author says... Endure. Run the race with endurance, which means your faith is going to be tested. The deceiver is going to come in and say, see, you can't trust him. You're sick. See, you can't trust him. Your friend who doesn't follow Jesus has way more money and seems way happier than you. See, you can't trust him. You're barren. See, you can't trust him. You have a terrible marriage. See, you can't trust him. Fill in the blank. And what's the implication of Hebrews 12? Suffering's inevitable. Suffering's inevitable. So to live by faith moment by moment is to recognize that my best life comes later. And in this world, the brokenness is going to be so hard that I'm going to have to resist the devil. I'm going to have to lay aside not just sin, but even weights so that I can run well and make it all the way to the end. In order to do that, I've got to listen to some testimonies. I need some people to come and tell me it's worth it who've done it. I need, I need to see and hear a person who made it to the end and goes, oh, it's definitely worth it. You can do it. And I definitely need somebody to do what I couldn't do and all those testimonies couldn't do. I need the perfect one who's ruling and reigning, who's kept all of his promises. I need to look to him and for him to be the champion of my faith when I feel like giving up or when I'm full of doubt or anxiety or I give in to sin or I fall off track. I need somebody to not let me go. Listen to the witnesses. Look to Jesus. Third, we do have a little bit of a responsibility here. We need to run and we need to fight. The Christian life in Scripture is called a race and a fight. At the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race. Summarize that up, he says, I've kept the faith. And this is how Paul explains keeping the faith. Running the race, fighting the good fight. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6, he says, flee from all these unrighteous things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. How do you fight the good fight of faith? You flee unrighteousness and you pursue righteousness. And what the author in Hebrews 12 says is there's something that you're going to have to do if you want to run well. If you want to be prepared for the sufferings to come, if you want to be prepared for the moments where you're going to need to endure, here's what you're going to have to do. Lay aside, throw off, avoid, kill sin for sure, and then a whole lot of other stuff is going to have to go too. One of my favorite um, exhortations from Hebrews 12, many of you have heard this, it's worth repeating. It comes from John Piper in Hebrews chapter 12. He talks about, you know, we have the tendency in our heart to ask the wrong question with Hebrews 12. And it says something about how we're running. It says something about how much we trust Jesus. It says something about, you know, the faith that we're clinging to and living, living by step by step. Because we look at a passage like this and we see, okay, the, the pastor says, in order to run well, we've got to lay aside every weight and sin which clings closely. And so we go, oh, there's a difference. 
Some things are inherently sinful, bad, it's wrong, goes against God's commands. I, I can't do those. I got that. Totally understand. But what's the weight thing? What's got to go? What can stay? And our natural tendency immediately with that is to go, can I keep this? Can I keep that? Can I still be considered faithful? Can I still endure? Can I still make it to the end? Am I still a runner in the race if I still go here? And I still watch that. And I still listen to that. And I still hang out with those ones. And I still do these things. And I still think this way. And I still cling to this. And I still love some of these things. How much can I get away with here and still be found faithful? And when Piper was giving an exhortation this passage, he says... If you come in and you ask, you know, if you ask essentially, can I keep some of these things? Is this a weight? He goes, it's about the lowest question you can ask as a Christian in this text. You miss the point completely. The right question is, looking at all these other things in your life, does it help me run? Or does it get in my way? Is it getting in my way when I'm trying to love my spouse? Does it get in my way when I'm trying to lead my kids? Does it get in my way when I'm trying to give generously to the needs around me? Does it get in my way when I'm trying to love those who are on the margins? Does it get in the way when I want to be generous and serve those around me? Or does it help me run? As mentioned before, Hebrews 12 is actually a command, an exhortation for you to look at your life, to think hard about who you are and what you're doing, and then get ruthless about what stays and what goes. And you've got a whole crowd of people who are going, get rid of the weight! <laughs> get rid of the weight! It's not worth it! Run! Fight! word cling so closely is actually, it actually means like distracted. There's, there's weights, there's sin that clings closely, and, and the whole goal of them is to distract you, to take your eyes off of Jesus, to take your eyes off the race. What distracts you from running well? In the Christian life, you've got to run, you've got to fight. So listen to the witnesses, look to Jesus, run the race, fight the good fight, and finally, cheer. Cheer on some folks around you. In chapter 11, verses 39 and 40, it says, All these, all these testimonies, all these witnesses, all these people, all these stories, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. All right, what's that talking about? In other words, these witnesses don't get the full promise of salvation and its reward until everyone finishes. Also, the New Testament talks about how the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. Talking about the day the Lord returned, the return of the Lord. But the Lord is patient, not willing that any who belong to him should perish. The Lord hasn't come back yet because not every person whose blood he purchased on the cross has gotten across the finish line, has come to faith. And the witnesses and all of our spiritual parents and brothers and sisters who have passed on are waiting for everyone to get across the finish line so that we can finally get the promise and the reward. Glorified bodies, 
new heaven, new earth, the restoration of all things. None of it comes until everyone crosses the finish line. It reminded me, as I was thinking about this this week, it reminded me of my, my local gym. I recently, like in November, changed gyms because, you know, I hit 35 and then the things I was eating and the things I was lifting, the way I was running wasn't doing anything for me. I thought, oh, I guess I'm old. <laughs> I guess it's time to switch things up. And, and actually, you know, anybody else who can relate, the time I go to exercise changes every single day. It, like, depends on my day. And so, you know, several years ago when Herb's job was basically, you know, when Herb's job was basically just following me around, it worked out really, really well. Because for a year, if we were going at 6 a.m., he was there. If we were going at 7 p.m., he was there. You know, life changes, and now he's got to go different times. I go to different times. And all of a sudden, I realized I was really starting to slack on everything because it was basically up to me to do it by myself. Boy, is that ever a disaster. And so I switched it up, and I go to this new gym. And it was one of my first workouts. And George Dobbins, he was here in the earlier uh, service. He's one of the coaches uh, there. And... He's working out next to me. And it's an hour-long class, and you buy into the hour-long class. You do the warm-up, and then you do the workout, but people finish at different times. And I finish way before George because I'm way more fit than George. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. <laughs> if, you, if you don't know George, I'm not more fit than George. <laughs> he was doing a harder version of the workout. I was gasping for air and was like, I'm going to do the, the lowest, you know, the easiest exercise today. It was the very, very beginning. And so I finished the workout, and, and, and there's probably a dozen other people who hadn't finished yet. They're going. And I just start cleaning up my weights. I'm wiping them down, you know, and I'm moving the bar. And George, who's in the middle of the workout, goes, Dave, Dave, Dave. He goes, just wait. I was like, all right. So I finished the workout, and he kind of comes up to me afterwards. He's like, yeah, he goes, we have a little bit of like a rule in the gym. It's no problem. I should have told you about it earlier. But, uh, you know, nobody's finished till everybody's finished. He says, what, what we do is when you finish, like you, you're committing to the hour class, and when you're finished, if you finished, right, Leah? You're cheering on the people around you. You're like, you're, you can do it. Push through. Only 20 burpees left. Only 20 pull-ups left. You know, people are gasping for air. It's like, you can do it. Push through. Finish, finish, finish. And I'm like, oh, man, that's like the coolest thing ever. So I'm like, I'm definitely into that. I went most recently, I went to a 5 a.m. class, which is, you know, that's, that's Gary, that's your time of day. And I went at 5 a.m. It was my first time at 5 a.m. class. I don't have energy at 5 a.m. There's probably 20 box jumps left, and there's a guy next to me who I'd never met in my entire life. The clock's about to run out, and I'm just like gasping for air. I put my hands on my knees, sweat's pouring off my face. I'm like, I don't think I'm gonna finish these 20. That's what I'm thinking in my head. This guy who's working out next to me, never met in my entire life, it, it, like, it's so, seemingly trivial and so beautiful. He stopped what he was doing and came over and was like, you got this, bud. Push hard. Finish. You got this. In fact, I'm pretty sure I finished mine and he didn't finish his. I was so overwhelmed and happy when I finished. I told Pastor Mike this and Abby yesterday. And they're like, you're weird, man. I, I finished the workout and I gave him a hug. <laughs> I'm like, you're the best. Here's, here's what this gym gets. You know, it takes a community, honestly, to accomplish goals. To reach the finish line. I've been in scenarios so many times where there aren't people cheering me on, and I'm tempted to cut it short, not give my all, lie in my head about my reps, you know, not give it 100% effort. 
And then there's been moments where I feel like I got nothing left, literally. There's no way. And the people around me are encouraging me and cheering me on. And because of that encouragement and their testimonies, I do way more than I ever thought possible. And that's just the gym. We're talking about something much more serious. But the principle is here. That's a borrowed principle. What's happening here is there are people who finished their race, and now they're looking at you, and they're going, oh, you better believe you can do it. You can resist more. You can say no to that. You can endure this. You can take this Dave Aubrey. You can endure this suffering. This has got nothing on you. You can push through. You're going to make it. You can do it. And there's a sense in which, by the way, under God's perfect sovereignty and his perfect wisdom, he chose for us to be alive at the same time. He chose for us to be a part of the same local community, church, outpost of his kingdom, for the purpose of being like, hey, Mike Melnick, just say no again another day. You got it. Hey, brother, hey, sister, you can do it. I'm cheering you on. You're not alone. We're not singing it this morning, but we've sung it a bunch of times, that song, Keep On. Keep on believing. Keep on reaching out for each other's hands. He's the God of encouragement, the God of peace. He's our one guarantee that the work he began, he will complete in you and me. And so keep on believing. Friends, if you want to make it to the end, and you're gonna if you're in Christ, listen to the testimonies. Look to Jesus. Run the race and fight the good fight. Throw off everything that hinders your running. And then cheer on every other brother and sister in your path and help them get to the end. Let's bow our heads.